0: Do you own mutual funds in a regular brokerage account and got stuffed with an unwelcome tax surprise at the end of the year? Well, that was almost certainly from Capital Gain Distributions and I'm about to explain what they are in this, the 12th episode of the Retirement Planning Education Podcast. Welcome to the Retirement Planning Education Podcast, where you can learn all about IRAs and Roth IRAs, employer retirement plans, taxes, Social Security, Medicare, Portfolio Withdrawal Strategies, Annuities, Estate Planning, and much more. And now here's your host, Andy Panko. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the 12th episode of the Retirement Planning Education Podcast. It's a big deal, 12. If I was a bakery, I'd uh, throw in a 13th episode for free, I guess. Bakers doesn't. So uh, seriously, though, we got a, a good one today, one that is timely and relevant. So by the time you uh, you know this this episode's getting released, early March 2022. So many of you are doing or have already done your tax returns. And if you have mutual funds in a regular taxable brokerage account, uh, you may have gotten some unwelcome tax surprise in the form of a large what's called capital gain distribution paid out by your fund into your account or into your fund at uh, most likely in December of, of the end of the year, of the end of 2021. So this episode will explain what those capital gain distributions are where they come from, you know, what their purpose is, and uh, can you do anything about it? And the short answer is not not, not easily, at least. So uh, let, let's get into it. So first, what is uh, a capital gain distribution? Well, I, I want to step back and explain a little more background, which will help, help this all make sense. So first, what is a capital gain in general? Well, think about it if you own, and, and this only applies to uh, regular taxable brokerage accounts, I should say. If you have a qualified account, like a traditional IRA, a Roth IRA, a health savings account, or even uh, any of your employer-type accounts, 401k, 403b, federal thrift savings plan, et cetera, it doesn't matter when there's gains or losses in, the, in, those, in those accounts from a tax perspective. Um, you know, In the year of the gain or the loss, or if you get income or dividends or whatever generated inside the account, there's no present year tax implications uh, with those qualified accounts, you're only taxed when you eventually take money out, and even then, you may not be taxed, like as in the case of a Roth IRA, for example. But in a regular taxable brokerage account, there there are present day, you know, present year tax implications to receiving dividends, to receiving interest, to selling something at a gain, or in this case, getting a capital gain distribution paid out from a mutual fund. So for a recap of the different account types and what's taxable, what's not, etc., go back and check out episode 7. The title was, uh, What's the Difference Between Tax-Deferred, Roth, and Normal Brokerage Accounts? Um, so you may find that helpful. But moving on. So let's assume uh, today's conversation is all about owning things in a regular taxable brokerage account. So what is a capital gain? So let's just keep it simple. You, you buy shares of a stock. It doesn't matter what stock it is, but you buy it for $5, you later sell it for $8, That $3 gain is taxable income in the year you sell it. Now, if you held the shares for more than 12 months from the date from when you purchased it to when you sell it, if it's more than 12 months, it's what's called a long-term capital gain, and there is uh, reduced tax rates on that. If you held it for 12 months or less between purchase date and sale date, then it's a short-term capital gain, and that gain is taxed as your ordinary income, taxed at your regular you know, whatever your normal uh, income tax rates are. So that's capital gain. Uh, you buy something low, sell it high. The, the difference, the gain is what you're taxed on. If you held it more than a year, it's a long-term capital gain taxed at a, at a lower, more favorable rate. If you held it 12 months or less, it's a short-term capital gain taxed at your ordinary income. Uh, I think we all sort of get that, right? In the case of owning an individual stock or, or a bond or whatever, it's fairly um, simple to understand. So now <clears throat> what's a mutual fund? Well, a mutual fund is instead of you buying an individual security, you know, an individual stock, you and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands or even millions of other people all put your money into a pot. That pot then takes those, those combined monies from everyone and goes out and buys a, a bunch of stocks, bonds, uh, whatever, you know, commodities, it all depends what the fund is. But let's let's just keep it simple. Let's assume it's all stocks. So you and thousands of other people all put money into this pot. That pot is managed by a mutual fund manager. So there there are people behind the scenes who who take that money and then go invest it, invest it on your behalf into whatever collection of of, of stocks. You, what you own is a, a share in that mutual fund and you own a prorated slice of that pot of money. So if you and a thousand other people all put money into this pot, you and those thousand other folks all own you know, that your respective shares of the pot. Um, and, and the size of the share you own is simply just a function of how much money you put in relative to everyone else. So if you put in one dollar and there's uh, 999 other people who all put in a dollar, you have one thousandth of that pot. Make sense. So all that money's pooled up it all buys stocks and you all own you know a, a, an equal share if you all put in the same amount of money, you all own an equal share of that pot. And the way mutual funds are, are structured legally, all of the economics they have, all the gains, the losses, the dividends, the interest that that pot of investments gets, it has to pass on to you, the the fund holder. You know, you and the 999 other folks, you all get your prorated slice of all the income, all the economics of that pool of investments. So, all said and done, a mutual fund is really just a way to um, pool up money to get much more buying power, much more diversification. So quick example, if you only had $100 to invest, you're not going to be able to buy a lot of stock. You know, you're know, you not going to be able to buy a lot of diversity. So there's some shares of stock where one share alone is more than $100, right? So y- there's no way you can buy a 1,000 different shares of stock if you only have $100 to invest. But because of the collective buying power of mutual funds, you put your 100 bucks or 1,000, whatever I said, I forget. You put your $100 or $1,000 into this pot, with hundreds or thousands of other people who all pooling in, you know, hundreds or thousands of dollars. Now this pot has millions, if not billions, of dollars, and therefore it can go buy hundreds or thousands of individual stocks because it has the collective buying power. And so you, you your relatively small hundred or thousand dollars or whatever it is, you now get a slice of all those hundreds or thousands of of securities in, in that in that mutual fund. So that that's the whole purpose. That's the benefit of mutual funds: is a little bit of money can get you a lot of uh, exposure, a lot of diversity. Uh, Etc. So now, just like when you buy a stock at five and sell it at eight, you have to pay tax on that $3 gain. Mutual funds work the same way. You buy a share of a mutual fund for $5. And at some point later, be it two months or two years, doesn't matter. You sell it for $8, you will have to pay tax on that $3 gain. Now, if you held it more than a year, that gain is long-term capital gains and, and taxed at a lower rate. If you hold it for only 12 months or less, as I mentioned before, it's taxed as a short-term capital gain and uh, taxed at your ordinary income tax rate. So that, that I think you, you probably still get that; it still makes sense. You know, you buy it low, you sell it high, you have to pay tax on the difference. You know, on that gain, it makes sense. But here's where "quote-unquote" capital gain distributions come into play. So now, even if you don't sell your shares of the mutual fund, you may still get passed on to you these capital gain distributions, typically in December and they are taxable. Even though you you didn't consciously sell any of your position, you're still having to realize the income and the taxability of the capital gains that the fund itself had within the fund. So um, recall I said that the fund manager, the one who oversees the pot of money and chooses what stocks to buy and sell, and when for that matter, if there are any gains from the activity within the fund those gains have to get passed on to you and all the other shareholders by law that's how mutual funds work they they, they can't pull up and defer the gains within that pot of money any gains realized within the year need to get passed on you know prorated to all the shareholders in a nutshell that that's capital gain distributions right so again, you didn't actually sell any of your fund, but because positions, because stocks, bonds, whatever were sold within the fund, within that pot of money, you have to realize your share of those of those capital gains. That's a capital gain distribution. You'll see these reported on line two A of your uh, consolidated ten ninety nine. You know the tax return form from from your brokerage account. Um, these capital gain distributions. So <clears throat> that, that's I kind of got a bit ahead of things, but that's. Uh, ultimately jumped right to it. That's what a capital gain distribution is. Let's now discuss why they happen. So think about it this way. When or why would a mutual fund manager sell shares specifically at gains? Well, there's a few reasons. One, and you have to think about what the fund is, what the strategy of the fund is. Let's assume it's an actively managed mutual fund where the mutual fund manager has discretion to invest in whatever stocks or securities he or she feels are good and and that have the uh, the hope, the chance of, of making money over time. So they have broad discretion to to basically buy and sell whatever stocks whenever, right? For, for whatever the reason may be. So maybe the strategy is that, okay, we're gonna have, I don't know, 20 different stocks is what we're gonna invest in. And if any one stock starts to become larger than 10% of the portfolio, then we have to trim it down. Like there may be a formal investment mandate that says no stock in the fund could be more than 10%. So let's assume the manager, you know, the, the the pot of money owns 20 shares. One share does phenomenally well, starts to get outsized, keeps growing. And uh, all of a sudden now that that one stock represents more than 10% of that total pot of money. Well, the fund's investment mandate is going to say you have to sell, you know, well, not you, but the, the fund manager has to trim down that position, has to sell some off, to reduce it such that the position is no longer larger than, um, 10% of the total portfolio. So that right there, boom, there you go. That's a capital gain distribution. You know, the stock did really well, which is good, but the manager's forced to sell some of it off and in selling it, the fund will have a capital gain on, on a portion, you know, the portion of the shares that were sold and that capital gain will need to get passed on to you and all the other fund holders. So that's one example. Um, Loosely similar, maybe the manager didn't like the name. You know, it's not because the fund did well and, and sort of hit a, you know, hit a size target, hit a size limit within the fund. Uh, but maybe simply the the stock or the company, something changed within the company such that the the manager no longer feels it's worth holding. and And maybe they did make some money on it, you know, from when the fund bought it to when it's now going to sell it. Maybe they made some money, not as much as they originally hoped, but the point is now the the investment thesis has changed. The manager no longer thinks that XYZ is going to happen at the company and doesn't think its, it's price is going to hit, you know, whatever the target originally was. So, okay, let's get rid of it. You know, we're going to sell out of this. We're going to buy something else. And in selling out of that, there may be some gain. And again, that gain has to get passed on to you and uh, all the other fund holders. So that's another example of a capital gain distribution. Now, what if it's not an actively managed fund? So, so far I've been talking about actively managed where the manager is consciously picking positions, uh, stocks that uh, he or she thinks are gonna do better than others. What if it's what's called an index fund, which is uh, otherwise known as a passive investment strategy. The manager, fund manager, isn't trying to proactively find and research and pick stocks that'll do better than others. The purpose of the fund and the strategy is simply to mimic or replicate some index. The most common is in, in the U.S. is the S and P 500, which is the, the uh, stocks of the 500 largest companies uh, traded on, on U.S. stock exchanges. So every now and again, the the 500 companies in the S and P 500 will get rebalanced, or not rebalanced, but I should say some companies get kicked out, others get added. Like like this year, uh, a large I won't name names, but a large. Uh, electric car maker, uh, well, not this year, but I guess this was 20, God, I forget what time it is. Coronavirus, got, got my whole sense of time messed up. Um, you know, a large electronic uh, electric car maker was added to the S&P 500, if, if maybe 2021 or 2020, I already forget, wow, time goes fast. But point is, um, you know, in, in doing that, uh, a new stock, a new name got added to the S&P 500 and uh, an existing one got, got booted out. So if you're a fund manager, managing an S&P 500 index fund as the index names reshuffle you have to reshuffle the names within the fund and that means you know whatever funds uh, whatever whatever names get kicked out you have to sell them and uh, if you have gains on those so be it you know you have to sell those shares out you're going to have gains on those on those sales or the fund manager will have gains on those sales they have to pass those gains on to you and all the other fund holders and there you have it there's another capital gain distribution so these first three examples I gave of, of why fund managers would sell uh, stocks within a fund and 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 generate capital gain distributions are all fairly straightforward to understand and, and fairly obvious. And I guess you as a fund holder should get it, should understand it. This last one, um, this one can sting a little. So if there's redemptions in the fund, you know, other shareholders want to redeem out for whatever their reasons are, there's redemptions. If the fund doesn't have enough cash to pay out those seeking redemptions out of the fund, they're going to have to sell things in the fund to generate the cash to pay them out. So here's how mutual funds work. You know, you can buy them any given day. Um, you, you, you subscribe technically, you don't buy, you subscribe into it any given day. And the way it works is you ultimately send the money directly to the fund management company. Now, if you buy this through a brokerage account, it looks and feels a little different. You think you're buying it through the broker, but technically behind the scenes, the broker is just passing your money on to the fund company. So you you give your money to the fund company; they in turn issue you, uh, you know, shares 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 of this pot of money. Pretty straightforward. And when you want out, when you eventually want to uh, get out of this position, the reverse happens. You you say to the fund company, "Hey." I want my money out, You know, here's my shares of the fund, you take them back, you give me my cash, cash me out, I'm go, You know, let's go our separate ways. Again, if you do this all through a brokerage account, you, you, it looks and feels a little different. You think you're technically buying and selling from the broker, but you're not. The broker is just acting as a middle person uh, between you and the fund company. So when you redeem out of a mutual fund, you're ultimately redeeming straight out of that pot of money. If that pot of money doesn't have, let's assume you got 10,000 bucks as your total position in this fund. You tell the fund company, I want out, I want to redeem. Uh, well, you can redeem at an, any given trading day. And if they don't happen to have $10,000 of, of free cash sitting around in that pot of money in the fund to cash you out, you know, to redeem your 10,000 bucks, they have to sell stuff. And in the process of selling, they may be selling uh, positions at a gain. And if those positions are sold at a gain, well, guess what? All of the other shareholders, not you because you're taking your money and going home, but all of the other shareholders now may get stuck with some capital gain distributions as a result of you wanting to redeem out of the fund. So you can see where I'm going with this. Um, I think it all sort of makes sense and and people more or less get it and are okay with it when the fund has to sell positions because positions did well or because it's an index fund that needs to rebalance and reallocate positions uh, accordingly to, to stay mimicking the index. Um, I think you get it and you're okay with receiving those capital gain distributions or more or less okay receiving those capital gain distributions. But when, uh, when you're getting a capital gain distribution because someone else wants out of the fund, another shareholder wants to redeem, and that, that's forcing upon you a taxable capital gain distribution, well, that's not as cool anymore, right? You, you may not like that. The worst scenario, in, in my opinion, is it's possible or well, well, common, not just possible, but common when uh, years when, when funds are doing well. So like the last few years, 2019, 20, and 2021 were blazingly strong years for the stock market, at least US stock market. Um, so you wouldn't be surprised necessarily if, if and when you got fairly large capital gain distributions for 2019, 20, and 21, for the reasons I mentioned before. You know, as stocks keep going up, fund managers need to trim down positions because they get outsized or rebalanced to, to keep matching the index, whatever. So you get it, you know, if, if your fund has gone up 10, 15, 20% for the year, and you're getting some capital gain distributions paid out that you have to pay tax on, you're, you're probably okay with it. But think about the, the flip side. What if it's a down year for the stock market, your fund has dropped in value because of it, and you get stuck with a taxable capital gain distribution at the end of that year? You're probably not going to be happy. That, that's going to sting. So here's what's almost certainly going on. As the stock market is declining, people probably are getting a little antsy, a little freaked out, and, and and they start selling out, which isn't you know typically not, not the right thing to do, but whatever. For whatever the reasons are, stock market's going down. People are selling out. They, they want to get out of their mutual fund holdings. You want to stay in because you're, a, let's say, a buy and hold long-term investor and you're going to ride it out. But other folks are selling out. So even though the fund itself is going down for the year, because other folks are wanting out, and the fund, let's assume, doesn't have enough cash on hand to pay those folks out, the fund is having to sell positions to free up cash to distribute out to these people who want to redeem. And if the fund manager is selling uh, uh, you know, stocks, selling positions within the fund that are ultimately at a gain from where they were initially purchased, well, that's going to be a taxable capital gain distribution to all of the fund holders who are still remaining in the fund. Got it? So other folks want out, other folks redeem, Um, the fund is down for the year, but the fund manager is selling individual securities that were still up from where they were originally bought, which means you, the remaining fund holders, are getting a taxable capital gain distribution in a year where the fund is already down, and you're like, what gives? So don't be surprised if you see this happen. This is fairly common in down years because in down years, some, some investors are pretty fickle, pretty flighty, and uh, they will sell out when, when things go down. And for you that stick around and continue to hold shares, um, you're gonna pay some of the cost by way of having these taxable capital gain distributions uh, thrust upon you at the end of the year. So that's uh, that's capital gain distributions. Now, a few other things to know. Um, Recall, I said there's a there's a difference between long-term capital gains and short-term capital gains. Again, long-term is anytime you hold something more than a year. Short-term is you hold it 12 months or less. Uh, the the whether it's short-term or long-term, in the hands of the fund flows through to you, the fund holder. So here's the example: if the mutual fund manager bought some stock 10 years ago inside the pot, you know, inside the mutual fund and sells it today, that, that's a long-term capital gain because it was held more than a year. You, the fund holder, uh, if you get a capital gain distribution on those shares that were sold within the fund, they were long-term capital gains within the fund, they will be that, that capital gain distribution will be long-term in your hands, so you'll be taxed on it as long-term. And this will show up on line 2A of your consolidated 1099. Now, he, here's, here's a little, little nicety. Um, even if you've only owned the fund less than a year, so you haven't held the fund for the long term, but the capital gain distribution was from a sale of a share that the fund held more than a year, you'll still be taxed on that gain as a long-term capital gain. Again, you didn't hold; you only hold the fund for two months, let's say, but you get a uh, you know share was sold inside the fund where that share was held for years inside the fund, uh, you know, before you came along, obviously that capital gain distribution will be taxed as a long-term capital gain to you, even though you've only held the fund for two months. So that's the good news. Again, that, that line 2A of your 1099 will always be taxed as long-term to you. Now, if the fund uh, only held the position for 12 months or less from the time it sold it, so it was a short-term capital gain in the hands of the fund, well, it's gonna be short, it'll be taxed as a short-term capital gain to you. Now, those short-term capital gain distributions will uh, will not be included in line 2A of your 1099. Instead, they will be rolled up into your dividend line of your 1099, which is gonna be line 1A of your consolidated 1099. So in addition to actual dividends being in line 1A, line 1A is also gonna show the short-term capital gain distributions from positions that the fund sold that it held for only 12 months or less. Got it? And finally, one additional uh, comment I want to make about capital gain distribution, specific to 2021 and specific to uh, one particular fund company that we all heard of. Now, I won't name names. Well, I guess I will name names. I mean, it's a public article. It's in the Wall Street Journal. I'm sure it's probably reported elsewhere. But uh, the fund company, almost, I assume everyone here listening has heard of them. Uh, the name starts with V, ends with Angard. I'll, I'll let you piece together the rest. Uh, so so what happened was this fund manager is one of the the larger providers of target date retirement funds. And now for those of you who don't know what those are, those are kind of set it and forget it, auto rebalanced uh, mutual funds where you select a target retirement date that you plan on stopping work. So whether it's, and typically they're in five-year increments. So you can pick like a 2025, a 2030, 2035, 2040, et cetera, et cetera, based on the uh, time between now and that target retirement year, the fund manager will automatically invest that fund into a mix of stock and bond exposure that they deem appropriate for someone that still has X amount of years until their target retirement. And all else equal, the further away retirement is, the more stock exposure that fund is going to have. And then the closer retirement gets, the stock exposure starts to dial back and uh, there'll be more bond and even some some cash exposure in there. So fairly um, useful funds, useful tools, especially for those that don't want to bother with rebalancing and monitoring or whatever, this this really is a set it and forget it. But um, these funds are best suited in qualified retirement accounts, like again, IRAs, 401ks, whatever, because they do throw off dividends and capital gain distributions throughout the years. So if you're going to usually hold these as long-term investments, so it's not ideal to hold them in a regular taxable brokerage account because there will be uh, taxable income each year from dividends and capital gain distributions. Now, the big news last year, 2021, with uh, this company whose name starts with V and ends with Angard, uh, again, you you figure out the rest. Um, The big news was that they they have different classes of, or different share classes of their target date retirement funds. So there'll be, I forget the exact names, well, a, a retail share class, you know, those meant for the common investor who are putting in a thousand bucks, 10,000 bucks, whatever. And then an institutional class for people putting in, and I don't know what the minimum is, I'm making this up, um, you know, $5 million, let's say. So that's made for like other mutual funds or... Um, uh, employer retirement plans, or something where they're putting in big slugs, you know, multi-million dollar slugs of money into this fund, and and the difference is the underlying portfolios are the same. It's the same combination of stocks and bonds, and these target date retirement funds actually are just a collection of investments in other funds from the same fund company whose name starts with V and ends with Anguard. Um, so the, the the difference between these shared classes is simply fees. Uh, th- there may be other nuances to it, but. Th- my understanding is it's really just a fee structure so the retail share class has higher fee higher ongoing expense ratio than the institutional share class does um, and and what happened last year in 2021 was this company reduced the minimum amount of money needed to buy into the institutional share class i'm making the numbers up i forget what they were maybe the original minimum was 5 you needed 5 million bucks to buy into the institutional share class to get the lower fee and they dropped it to a million or two million or or whatever, again, I don't recall, it was in the article. I'll I'll find the article and put it in the link to the show notes, it was Wall Street Journal. Uh, There's there's probably gonna be a paywall for those of you that don't have a subscription, you may not be able to see it, but just Google around. I'm sure you'll be able to find the story elsewhere, but I will share the uh, Wall Street Journal link. So what happened was that all else equal, obviously, you want to be in the share class with the lowest fees. But if you're a retail investor, you may not have the $5 million to put into this fund to get you into the institutional share class. So in 2021, the company reduced the minimum that you needed to buy into the institutional share class. And what happened was the uh, a lot of people who who were previously in the retail share class um, now had enough money to get into the institutional share class based on the new lower minimum of the institutional share class. So what happened was the folks, a lot of folks who had uh, the retail version of these shares redeemed out, they transferred out, they, they, you know, in effect took their money out of the retail share class, moved it into the institutional share class. And remember what I said before. Redemptions can lead to capital gain distributions because the fund is going to have to sell stuff to generate the cash to cash out those that are looking to redeem. So there was uh, an outflow of money from the retail share class of the target date funds into the institutional share class. And for those that stuck around and kept their retail uh, share class holdings of these funds they got stuffed with large capital gain distributions because of this redemption activity, because people, uh, you know, others left the retail share class, cashed out, reinvested into the institutional share class. So the people who stayed behind in the retail share class were left holding the bag. They got this big fat tax bill because of uh, the other folks who went to the institutional class. Now, each, each fund, you know, these target date funds, again, I said, are typically in five-year increments. Um, one particular one that, that, that I saw it play out in real life for someone I work with, was there was, a, I think, 15 plus, over 15% capital gain distribution. So if you had a million dollars in this one particular target date retirement fund, uh, you got a $150,000, roughly, uh, taxable uh, in- income event on your 2020 tax return. And you didn't sell any of your fund. You, know, you still held it just the same. All of a sudden, now you got to pay one hundred fifty grand of uh, taxable income. So that's not cool, but that's what happened. So that's that. Um, that. That's what that's what capital gain distributions are, and that's why 2021 was kind of a unique year for a few reasons. Just to recap, one was there was you know three really strong years in the stock market, so a lot of funds needed to trim trim down position sizes, needed to take some gains off the table. Uh, but specific to this other company, again, name starts with V, ends with Anguard. Um, the, the other big thing was this, uh, kind of flight of money out of retail share class target date funds into institutional share class funds, where those that did stay behind continuing to hold retail share class kind of got stuck holding the bag, having to play capital gain distributions, uh, because of the redemption activity of people changing share classes. So that's it. Hope you found this helpful. Um, definitely if you, if you like this, you like this kind of stuff that goes on and gets talked about here, check out my Facebook group. Taxes and Retirement, YouTube channel, Retirement Planning Demystified, and uh, newsletter, Retirement Planning Insights. You can find links to all three below. And as always, if you like this podcast, you like the info you hear here, definitely please uh, click a star, click a like, you know, whatever platform you're listening to this, this to on, uh, please like it. Please also leave a nice, healthy, juicy review, good reviews, good, good feedback, good clicks and likes help this podcast get found by more people across these platforms. So uh, if you like this, I would greatly appreciate putting in a little bit of time and and leaving a nice review. Even if you don't like it, I'd still appreciate leaving a nice review. You know what I'm saying? Wink, wink. So that's it. Uh, Thank you as always for listening and I will catch you next time. Take care. The information discussed in this podcast is only general explanations and education. It is not specific tax, legal, or investment advice. Before considering acting on anything you heard here, first consult with your tax, legal, or investment advisor. Thank you.